The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Sometimes you just have to know when to walk away. We're in the dog days of summer over here, and my son Jude is at soccer camp this week. He's four, well, four and a half. It's hot here. That scorching, humid heat that makes fun things just unfun. And this morning, Jude announces he's quitting camp. He wants to stay home and play, or, I don't know, maybe watch TV. He wants downtime. Now, I'm still new enough at parenting that I'm not sure what to do in these moments. Do I say fine, or do I push him to go and follow through on a commitment? But this morning, Jude was not going, like crying and refusing to let go of his other mom's leg and then making his body all stiff that way that little kids can do. Until finally we're all like, okay, you can quit soccer camp. And I know this doesn't seem like a big deal, but it gets to the very heart of what we're going to talk about today. Quitting. When is it okay to quit something? Today's guest is Julia Keller. Julia is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from Huntington, West Virginia. And Julia believes there's power in stopping things. So much power. Her book is Quitting, A Life Strategy, The Myth of Perseverance and How the New Science of Giving Up Can Set You Free. I like the way that sounds. In this conversation, Julia will convey why it's so important to allow ourselves to stop doing things sometimes. She'll share some cool things we can learn from the animal kingdom. And after the break, she'll share her surprising opinion on the phenomenon known as quiet quitting. Here's Julia. Grit is very much the coin of the realm these days. Um, And that had begun to annoy me over the years because it is often used as a cudgel with which to, to kind of beat people about the, you know, metaphorically uh, about the head and neck. It's to, it's a way of really kind of putting people down when they do need to make a change. That certainly had been true in my life. So I think you're quite right. We really do have this cultural pressure on us all the time to stick to it. And more, more than just an economic and a, a kind of a, a job related thing, it becomes almost a moral failing if you quit you're seen as, as not just a loser and a failure at your job. You're seen as less than less than a full human being. Somehow you're weak and you're sniveling. Well, that's the piece that I want to explore that I don't understand. It's the place I kept coming back to because, of course, from a logical perspective, I can think of many times when it makes sense to quit. And, in fact, your advantage is in quitting early enough that you can do something else with your time or your resources. But yet I have this emotional connection to the need to persevere that goes back to I don't know – when my parents didn't let me quit French horn in the fifth grade. Ah, yes, yes. I don't know if you're a sports fan as well, but as I am. But I, as I was writing this book, I mean, I was really torn because in sports, of course, resilience and hanging in there and, and battling through pain and not letting your teammates down is such an important concept. So in some ways, I was going against my upbringing, and it sounds like yours as well. But the point I wanted to make in this is to kind of interrogate that. You know, I was doing one interview and this man got really upset at the idea of quitting. That whole word made him bristle. He kept saying, it's that word, quitter and quitting. Your book is mistitled. It shouldn't be quitting. 
And as I was talking with him and kind of pushing back a bit, I said, why do you think that word gives you such trouble? Why do you think you do recoil? And why does it make you cringe? That's kind of my point, that it is deeply embedded in our cultural history. This idea of perseverance is something that has been sold to us by the people in power, not just in our century, but in the, the 20th and the 19th century, most especially, to kind of look at that and think, why do we have those feelings? Not just that we do, because we certainly do. And you as a parent know that, you know, when your kids come to you and want to quit something, um, your first impulse is say, no, no, you can't quit. I want to make, I want to have strong children. I want to have children who don't wilt at the first bit of pressure. But is that always the best strategy? I think it's it's far more complex than we've been led to believe. This idea of gritting it out is always best is clearly not true. But how do you strike that balance? Well, you equate there in your description the word strong and strength and the word quit and quitting as if quitting is some sort of a character weakness. What is actually more true about quitting? I think quitting is where we truly express our individuality and our kind of going into the future. That's where we really, when we're able to make changes, when we're able to decide that a present path is not the correct one, and we make another decision to go another way. It's one of the hardest things we do. Sometimes people say to me, well, that's hard. And I'll be like, oh, you're darn right it is. I mean, I think it's truly one of the hardest things we ever do. I know anything that I've quit in my life from jobs, relationships, anything, is always accompanied by a you know, terrible stomach ache, violent headache. I mean, I, I really do. I get almost physically sick. And I think it's mainly fear, but it's other things too. It's that, how am I going to look? It's vanity. There's a kind of a panic in there too. What are people going to think? But truly, I think quitting is where we really distinguish ourselves. That's where we're able to say, I believe in abundance. I believe in a better tomorrow. I often say that I come from sort of a cynical family and I've had to overcome that. One of the things I've had to quit is looking at things through a rather dark lens that, well, look, you got this job now. Why would you give up this job? You know, what if you don't ever find a better one? And that's always kind of the question in the back of your mind. But the truth is, there is always a second chance and a third chance and a fourth and a fifth. And you have to believe in that abundance. Well, there are so many things that we don't quit simply because we're afraid that there isn't something better to fill the space that opens up. What tools do you have for us to think through these things in a way that helps us toward the right decision for us, not necessarily what the status quo wants from us? You know, what I hope people will take with them, and, and, and I think do think of it as a tool, is a different way of thinking about quitting, is to realize that in the animal kingdom, for instance, animals quit all the time. They have to. If something isn't working out, animals don't have the luxury of grit and perseverance, of wanting to look tough and cool and really sticking with it. You know, I referenced the finches on Galapagos Island. Their food consists of a, of a little seed that's inside a very hard plant called a caltrop. If they spend any more than two or three minutes getting out that particular seed, they'll perish. The, the finches live on a very thin margin of survival. So they have to quickly move on to the next caltrop, try to find one where the, that's a little more procurable for them. As human beings, though, we're always worrying about what we look like. So one strategy for me is like just realizing that is saying, all right, animals don't do that. They don't care how it's going to look to others. The idea is doing what's best for you. And so if we think about how the rest of the animals with whom we share the planet do what they do, I think that can be a, kind of a good guide. What would happen in my life if I weren't worried about what anybody else perceived in the choice that I'm making? Oh, it's so funny you say that. I once thought about, I thought it'd be so cool to write a book, and I don't know if it'd ever be possible. I, I wanted to call it something like A Month Without Mirrors, 
And the idea would be you would live your life, just pick a period of time, a month, maybe two or three months, um, and live it completely by without mirrors. I mean, not just physical mirrors, but also just as you say, without worrying about what anybody else thought. It would be a great challenge. At bottom, I think it would be more of a spiritual challenge than anything else to totally go by your own lights. It sounds a bit selfish, but I think it's kind of the opposite of selfish. It's saying, because when we're doing what's right for us, we're doing what's right for the world. I mean, I truly believe that. It's, it's, I love that idea, right? And as I think about that idea, I think in a very gradual sense, that's what age has done for me, right? I'm like smack in the middle of my life. I'm in the middle of my 40s. And if we were meeting in my 20s, I would be so much more constrained by other people's perceptions, other institutions' perceptions of me. And I feel like it took years for me to get to a place where I'm minimally aware, but not nearly as constrained. As I keep moving forward, is this going to get better? You know, that's a great point. I'm so glad you said that because I was interviewed the other day by a woman that writes a, a newsletter for older people. I mean, really older people, like people in retirement communities. And she said to me, well, like, what would be the relevance of this for older people? And I said, oh, my goodness, as we get older, what we do with this wisdom that we have makes it easier for us to quit things because we know the perils of staying too long in a particular place. As our time kind of winds down and none of us knows how, how long we have. I mean, that's one of the things I deal with in the book, people who have, have died very young. As our time winds down, it becomes ever more precious to us, and we don't want to waste any of it. We don't want to indulge in the sunk cost fallacy. We don't want to stick with something that isn't working out because, well, I've already put in this, this number of years and months. So I think as we get older, it isn't just a matter of kind of being wise and stroking our chins and drinking tea and uttering pithy platitudes. It becomes a matter of being very aware of this finite resource called our lives and wanting to not miss a thing and not stick with something past when we should. And I, I think it gets easier as we get older in terms of jobs and, and, I mean, really practical things as well. Well, I love thinking about that because that is a, a super great bonus about um, every birthday that I have from here into, <laughs> into infinity. But to go back to the French horn, uh, I'm really glad my parents forced me to stick it out. It was pretty miserable there for me for probably two or three years. And then it grew into something that was uniquely my own and that I had mastery over. And it became a great joy to me for another decade. That, that's very important. That was right for you to stick with it. It's not that everybody should quit things all the time. In fact, I always make a little joke and I say that it isn't as if I want people to close this book at the end of it and immediately text their spouse or partner and say, sorry, honey, it's over. I mean, that's not the <laughs> idea is just immediately quit something. It's the idea that it that should be among your tools. That should be in your toolkit, this possibility mm -hmm. of quitting. And I know for me, when I go to a, an exercise class three times a week and it's treadmill and rowing and very intense um, cardio. And one thing I've discovered is because I know I can quit, I don't. <laughs> I know I have the freedom to quit. In fact, I often turn to the person on the next treadmill and I'll say, you know, we, we, they can't make us stay. We're paying them. We can quit whenever we want. And because we can, we don't. For me, that really works kind of as a philosophy when I go into it. And the same thing with your French horn. You, you could have quit, but you didn't. Right. And so that gives it its own kind of special radiance. You stayed with it because you wanted to. What I come back to, Julia, is that maybe what you're advocating for and encouraging is to be in conversation around the idea of quitting. When you know you can quit and you say to your neighbor on the treadmill, hey, we can quit. Then you can figure out why you're there. 
you know, we don't want to interrogate everything we do all the time. I mean, that would, that's, that's what you do when you're in college, right? You stop every time and you think, this is me thinking. This is me thinking about thinking. Oh, gosh. And obviously we can't do that, you know, when we're, when we're embarked on our lives and we have families and children and responsibilities and houses and all of that. However, I do think, as you say, quitting is really at the heart of the human endeavor, quitting or not quitting. And so when you contemplate this issue of quitting, that's what you come to. I mean, you come to some very profound places and you come to some very, I think, profound revelations about yourself and what you really want out of this crazy thing we call life. Quitting is so many things. It isn't just jobs. You know, I've had to make that point too. And I deal with people who quit, not just jobs and relationships. I mean, that, that's sort of easy. Yeah. Do I want to quit this marriage or not? Do I want to quit this job? It's people who've quit political parties, people who have quit ways of thinking, ways of being in the world. I mentioned a kind of a cynicism that I sort of fight. My father was a math professor and he tended to see things in a kind of a darkly logical way. He would talk about things being the height of absurdity. And it's true. At bottom, everything kind of is. There's a line from the 18th century British writer Horace Walpole when he says, life is a comedy to those who think and a tragedy to those who feel. Mm-hmm. And I think you can kind of decide which side of that you want to come down on. But this issue of quitting puts us right there. It gives us permission to ask ourselves who we are, what we want, who we are, not just as ourselves, but in relation to other people. What are my responsibilities to other people? And I mention that because I've heard people will say to me, well, I have kids and family and I can't just up and quit. And I'd say it's so curious that people think of their obligations and their responsibilities, these people that they love and share their lives with, as the reasons to not quit something and not do what they want to do. And I always say, turn that around, flip that around. They are the reasons that you do what you want to do. They are the reasons why you you want to live your life and with your, you know, exercising your gifts and talents along lines of excellence. It's funny that you say that. It makes me think about my own family. I just am putting this together now. So my parents divorced when I was about 22. I actually wrote about it in a memoir that came out in the fall. And I have always thought of it as the best thing that could have happened to us. And you've just sort of put the finger on why for me. It's because when they quit and found a new path forward, they modeled for me that I was allowed to quit things that weren't working and that I would be okay and find my way forward. Yes. And so there is this way that when you quit, the people around you are uplifted by that. Oh, that's so beautifully put. There is a liberation about quitting. And I don't mean just the like, I'm out of here now and these suckers aren't going to have to deal with me anymore. It's not that kind of liberation. It's mm-hmm. truly a spiritual liberation. I think of, of, of portions of this book and this exploration as a kind of a spiritual quest, deciding who we are and how we spend our time. That's ultimately yeah. all we really decide in this life. How do we spend our time? Do we, who do we spend it with? How much of ourselves we give in each situation? How much do we give to our work, our, our work that's the, 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 for monetary gain, other kinds of work that we do? And at the bottom then, quitting does become this very profound philosophical issue, not just a matter of whether I'm going to resign from this job or that. It becomes something, I think, that takes us to a whole other, other plane. And we ask about why we're here in the first place. We're going to take a quick break here, but stick around, because when we come back, we're going to talk more about quitting with Julia Keller. 
The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Julia has a compassionate view, of course, of quitting, leaning into walking away when it's the right thing for you. However, Julia has a very different opinion when it comes to quiet quitting. And this term, come on, even the term makes me roll my eyes. That's how I feel about it. Quiet quitting is this idea that sprung up this year that gets it doing the bare minimum or phoning it in. Once again, here's Julia. I despise that concept. I think it's thievery. (laughs) I think it's just outright thievery. I do. When that came out, you know, I'd already written my chapter on quasi quitting, which sounds a little bit the same thing, and yet it is completely different. Um... I think quiet quitting it is. It's just stealing. It's it's not doing an honest day's work for an honest day's dollar. I come from West Virginia, and I think it's a very hardworking state filled with hardworking people. Maybe that's the West Virginia in me talking. But when you do a job, you do it to the best of your ability. If you don't like the job and you think you're not being fairly paid, then leave. Quiet quitting really just made my hackles uh, uh, rise. So I really didn't care for that at all. I had already come up with my concept of quasi-quitting, which to me is completely different and perfectly acceptable, which is changing your situation. If you want to change your situation in a work situation, go talk to your boss and say, what changes can we make to make it more palatable in any kind of family situation as well? You know, what can we do to work on this? I mentioned quitting not having to be an on-off switch. It can also be a rheostat dial where you can turn it up and down and and make these subtle or not so subtle changes. But quiet quitting, no. Terrible. Terrible. (laughs) Well, there's a way in which this whole idea of quiet quitting is about emotionally not showing up for your life. And there's a way in which your thesis in quitting is that by proactively quitting the things that don't work, you are emotionally fully showing up for your life. So in some ways, it's a little bit of an opposite. It is. I sometimes have these really emotional reactions to sentences. And when I first was reading about quiet quitting, and there was almost a kind of a smirking smugness too about some of the articles about it. It'd be like, like, yeah, this is just perfect. Just kind of take it easy. And the boss isn't watching. Okay. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. I, I like your notion of showing up for your life. That's 
You've got to be there and be committed. And again, if you don't want to be there, you do have that choice. Right. We all have that choice. I know my very first newspaper job, I had to do police calls Oof. and it was dreadful. It was four to midnight. I'd have to call all the local police stations and say anything going on. And they'd say, yeah, you've got a multiple homicide on such and such street or we've got a terrible car accident. It was a really terrible job because the only thing that I was after would be bad news and horrible things that had happened to people. So it was just really, it it was a very sour <laughs> experience. It However, was a total first newspaper job. First newspaper job. But it was in doing that newspaper job that I thought about that. My first thought was, I'm out of here. I'm not even going to stay. I was, it was first job. I was like 20 years old. And I thought, oh. However, I remember having the very specific thought of, while I'm here and I'm doing this, I will do it well. I will do it well. And I don't mean to sound like that. I was some goody two-shoes or some noble, wonderful person. It wasn't that. I just remember having that clear idea. If I get to the point when I really can't do this and I don't want to do it, but I was learning too. Because occasionally right. one of those multiple homicides, they'd send you out to go do it. And you would learn a lot about reporting and about how to find the right people to give you the information you needed, how to craft a story. So it, it had its good aspects too. But I remember having that distinct thought, like if I hate this as much two or three weeks from now, then I won't be here. What's the relationship between the idea of quitting and the idea of giving up? Ah, the giving up, that seems to be a word that causes even more recoiling and cringing, even more so than the word quitting. I used giving up in the title for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one was to get that sense of the animal kingdom, that that's exactly what animals do. They give up. They throw in the towel, all these euphemisms we have for that. Right. It does have a specific cultural meaning for us, though, which is what I think was most interesting to see how people react to words like quitting and giving up. Between the two, I don't know if somebody said to you, you just gave up or you just quit. I mean, they're probably about the same. But as I mentioned, I really trace that back to the beginnings of the self-help movement in the 19th century, when it was first suggested that people who gave up, people who quit, deserve whatever happened to them, that we are responsible for our own fate. We control our own destiny. And of course we don't. People who are caught in wildfires or in tornadoes or hurricanes didn't choose that, didn't choose horrific weather events that would sweep away their homes and all their belongings. It's a way of, it's a way of trying to justify the income inequality we have now, the, the, right. the social inequality that we see all around us every day. And we justify it by saying, well, Elon Musk just worked harder. Bill Gates just nose to the grindstone. Now, I'm sure those two men, as the example, they did work very hard, but so do a lot of people who struggle economically. So this notion of giving up as being the reason why people don't succeed, I think is really unfair and short-sighted and really doesn't give us a sense of all the things that can just happen, that do just happen in this, what is often a random universe. Right. Yeah. Well, so, Julia, as we finish up here, what do you hope people take from this book? I really hope that larger spiritual issue comes through, that I'm not just talking about jobs, not just talking about relationships. I'm talking about our very sense of ourselves and our sense of our mission being here. You know, the Greeks' definition of happiness was to use one's gifts and talents along lines of excellence. That's what we're here for. And what's the best way to do that? If we're on the wrong path, we need to change. Modern neuroscience tells us that that change that we do when we quit is actually good for our brains. It keeps our brains nimble and flexible. So what I hope people will realize is on a neurological level, on a behavioral level, on an economic level, just in terms of our jobs, on a logistical level, on a level of with dealing with our families and our loved ones, but also on that spiritual level, 
that quitting should be top of mind when we're trying to make decisions in our lives. And we shouldn't let the negative attitude toward quitting get in our way and keep us from really getting to where we want to in life and being not just happy for ourselves, but creating a better world for all. That was Julia Keller. You can check out her book, Quitting, A Life Strategy, at the link in our show notes. And there are a few things here that we can all take away from this episode. First, Julia posits that quitting and how we understand when to do it, well, it's at the heart of the human experience. It's the boundary we set that determines how we use our time. Second, and this one I have to say, it really appeals to me. Quitting gets easier as we get older. When we're young, we're so focused on external expectations, and one of those cultural norms is that it's just bad to quit. We should stick things out. But as we get older, we grow to know ourselves better, and we grow more confident. Last, as we finish this episode, I hope you'll think about something that you can give up. In fact, let's take that resolve into the office hours this week. What things have you quit for the better? And what did the process teach you? Now look, it's tough to quit things. It's not like it gets easy. It's tough. So bring the tough. Join us on the LinkedIn news page on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Bring your insights, bring your coffee. And if you're not sure where to find us, you can send us an email at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send you the link. One last thing before we sign off for the week, it's time for our quick tips segment. And here to share those tips is our producer, Sarah Storm. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jesse. So we reached out to the Hello Monday community to ask for positive things they've gained or learned by quitting something. And we got so many responses. I'm talking posts, emails, mm-hmm. audio messages, mm-hmm. people writing in the group. Mm-hmm. People care. People care. In fact, we're going to link to those posts in this week's newsletter because there are more great takeaways than we can share in this moment. But, Sarah, I know you do have a couple. What have you brought us? So I love this comment from member Michelle Lewis. Here's what changed from Michelle. I regained margin and balance, she says. I also regained a sense of self that was not tied to my work. I was able to step back and reassess what my priorities are, not just as a professional person, but as a human, and find a path forward that was a healthier, fuller expression of those priorities, as well as my skills and talents. Don't we all want that? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Michelle is describing the dream, right? Right. It's incredible. We also got this amazing email from a listener who has been with us a long time. We've talked before about things. It's Crystal Frommart from Houston. And Crystal, I really hope I said your last name correctly. Let me know if I didn't. Anyways, uh, Sarah, why don't you share it? Sure. Crystal says, I'm a teacher at a great school. I have quit twice and returned to the same school twice. So Crystal goes on to share that she quit once to teach abroad and then six years later she felt burnt out and quit again to try another industry that ultimately didn't feel like such a great fit. So she went back. She goes on to say, I'm grateful the school had me back twice. I don't regret any of it because I learned from the experience during each departure. That reminds me, first of all, thanks Crystal. And that reminds me so much of what Brene Brown says um, when people ask her about like mistakes or indecision in general she's like nothing's wasted nothing's it's all wasted. in nothing is wasted Sarah since you're here do you want to read the credits absolutely Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News I produced the show with help from Lolia Briggs it's engineered and mixed by a softy drone our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder Michaela Greer 
We love you. Please never quit us. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. And I'm Sarah Storm. And we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. I got a puppy, a shelter puppy, several years ago, and I was, I really, I was ready to give up on him. And this was a case where I didn't. And friends of mine said, this is the best dog ever. I couldn't, I, I'd never raised a puppy. I'd always gotten adult dogs at shelters. Oh First puppy I'd ever had. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. 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 Did I mention we have a two and a four-year-old? I don't know what we were thinking. And a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> but we will get through these years. Eventually, one of the three of them will be potty trained. In fact, maybe all of them will be potty trained and our life will feel different. And so it's when I'm not going to quit.